0: A Japanese man on with a an man.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Good Friends of Jackson Elias, a regular podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. I'm Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dalbert. Unfortunately, our third regular host, Matthew Sanderson, has been unwell recently. He is recuperating and is making good progress. And who knows, maybe next time he'll be able to join us again. But until that occurs, we are pleased to be joined by host of What Would the Smart Party Do podcast, Gaz.
2: Welcome. Yeah, pleasure to be here. I'm glad to be a stunt Matt for the episode. <laughs>
0: Indeed. Yes. Yes, we had your co host, Baz, on a little while back, and we figured it was about time we ranched out the set
2: yes well quite you've got to catch them all haven't you and <laughs> of course me like m- many of your listeners were probably horrified by baz's horror film knowledge and other failings so i'm here to <laughs> lift the side back up again
1: how did you feel about that top 10 list that i tested baz on had you seen all of those
2: yes obviously
1: because i just did a google search and like came up with like rolling stones top 10 horror list i thought well he's going to have seen these but we'll just rattle through them and get his opinions
2: it should have been like how many times have you seen each of these that would the better <laughs> question for me
1: now gaz i think we should just let listeners know you're not just a podcaster you're also a published author you've got numerous scenarios out on drive through rpg both for D and for vason
2: yeah, very kind of you to say so. Um, the Bon Alchemist and another minor title for Dame's Guild I wrote. Also, a couple of personal scenarios, Midnight Hunt and Unbearable, which is a terrible pun with a bear on the front of the cover, but you should actually <laughs> definitely look into both of those. A couple of them are very near silver, and i am also in Puppy Love for... Um, Tales from the leap, and I've got some of the minor writing credits from, from yesteryear for like Earthdawn and other things like that, and a whole bunch of playtesting and proofreading and other credits in there. But mainly I'm a convention GM, that's the thing I do. But if you enjoy my scenarios or think you might, then definitely head over to Through and check them out. I
1: don't know. I've known Gaz for the best part of 20 years now, and we've played in each other's one-shots at various conventions. So it's great to see some of these scenarios getting published so other people can play them, yeah. because he is a... Uh, a consummate convention games master
2: that was a well-rehearsed accolade thank you very much it was a bit <laughs> bit garbled but you know it got there yes yeah, so it's quite hard to write stuff out for other people i find that's what's been the, the problem mm-hmm. but as i age i find i have more free time to do things like that now so for the benefit of all really it's not for any remuneration <laughs> on my part it's just to give other people the wisdom of my many years yeah
0: Or <laughs> well, maybe buy yourself the occasional pint with it
2: that's it yeah <laughs> buy some more pdfs for role-playing stuff <laughs>
0: in
1: today's episode we're going to be talking
0: about how we create stories at the gaming table but before we get into all that good stuff what is going on you're writing a scenario for the next issue of the blasphemous tome i believe paul
1: yes i am i've come up with the title step into my parlor you may get the reference you may not but it's from a poem <laughs> And the scenario is set in 1880s New York, so it's the Down Darker Trails period of Call of Cthulhu, and the investigators are on the trail of a notorious spider gang responsible for numerous drug deaths around the city. That will be out in June 2022 in just a few months in our fanzine for our Patreon backers. Yep, that'll be issue nine of the Blasphemous Tome. And Scott, you've been appearing on more actual play
0: podcasts, more than a man can count. (laughs) I got invited, as part of How We Roll, to appear on a podcast from Light and Tragic. They're the podcast troupe who, amongst other things, do the orphans radio drama, science fiction radio drama, but they do gaming podcasts, they do all sorts of wonderful things. And they started doing this uh, additional podcast called You Awaken in a Strange Place, which is a series of improvised games that all start with you awakening in a strange place. So they had Dave and Owen and myself from How We Roll on there. And we came up with a premise, a sort of science fiction thing that involved trying to wrangle aquatic megafauna on an alien planet and yeah it was a lot of fun with the scenario ended up being called 40,000 leeches under the sea and I shall link to it from the show notes
1: and now on to our main topic creating stories at the table
0: So we often hear people talking about RPGs as if they were stories, but are they even remotely the same thing? What's the relationship between them? And how do we create something at the gaming table that at least feels like a story? What would you say, Gaz? Are
1: role-playing games, you know, what happens at the table? Is that a story?
2: Yes, it is, to a degree. One of the better things about role playing games is is after the fact when you talk about what happened. Those are the mm-hmm. really best sessions, I feel, when we all get together and say, How's your game? And you go, Oh, this happened and that happened. And then this thing was revealed. And then we got really excited about it. That's kind of like when you know you've had a good game. So if you've created a good story amongst yourselves while playing a game, however much you're interested in engaging with the mechanics or not. I think that's the gold standard of you know you've had a good game. I can talk about scenarios from 20 years ago, for example, where I remember what happened. It Mm. was a really great story. Not scripted like stories are. They don't have to follow the same beats necessarily. In fact, it's better role-playing because unexpected things happen for players on GM throughout, and twists and turns occur that no one saw coming, or perhaps only one person did, or people saw different directions, and you had to decide which path to pick. Like a choose your own adventure book almost, but more free, obviously.
1: Mm.
2: So there's definitely a relationship there. I know if you talk about RPGs being stories, some people tend to want to shy away from that and go, oh, no, why are you trying to make me make a story? See, there is an elephant in the room around it, but if we disassociate from people worrying about making a story and, in fact, just organically creating one, I think there's definitely something there in Scenario. And then there's discussion to be had about how much of that is set up in advance by a GM, for example, or on character sheets for the players, mm. how much railroads and inverted cameras is there of like a certain path people have to follow or uh, sort of like guide you to follow and that kind of thing how freeform is it how much input a player's got all these kind of things that like come into it as various um bits of the recipe but i think you definitely create a story at the table and if you haven't done if at the end of it you just feel like ticked some boxes or followed a, a trail of jelly beans and had no input or nothing exciting or interesting happened that feels like a, a suboptimal role-playing session to me
0: this may be a daft But in this context, when we're talking about story, what do we actually mean? Because I can see all sorts of possible definitions for that. In terms of role-playing game, it could just be a series of linked events, or it could be something that involves actual character development and growth. It could be the resolution of conflicts. Story is... I think quite a nebulous thing, and I sort of sometimes struggle to think about what it means in role-playing terms.
1: I think it's like what is art? It, you know it when you see it. A story could be an anecdote that somebody tells me in the pub. Mm-hmm. That's a story. I think as human beings, we process the world through stories. Long before there was Netflix, <laughs> there were stories. Right before the yeah. written word, we had stories, and we sat around campfires and told each other stories, and. History, politics, religion, marketing, they're all based on stories. Brexit was based on stories. I'm not saying... (laughs) No, no, whichever
0: side you're on, I think, it's communicated through stories. But I guess the difference is that... A story in that context is something a person tells as opposed to an interactive experience. When we were talking about genre emulation a while back, you were very adamant, Paul, that fiction and games were very different things and that games should not attempt to emulate fiction. Hmm. So how does that relate to games being stories? Because it sounds like if it's a story, then you are trying to create fiction.
1: Yeah, you're creating fiction, but you're not... I don't think you're emulating the content of a specific novel, say.
0: No, but you were very specific that you didn't think that a game should even try to feel like a story in that respect, that it should be something very different. So how do you see the relationship between that and it being a story?
1: Okay, no, that wasn't what I meant. I think if we're talking about TV shows and novels and the kind of source material if you like that we might refer to when we're talking about role-playing games often we talk about the source material coming from you know like appendix n and and things like that those clearly we'd all agree they're stories Hmm. when it comes to role-playing games i think equally we're making stories the same as we when we do when we sit around the pub and tell each other stories about things that have happened in our lives or whatever they're just different types of story they're no less stories i think I mean, how do you feel about it, Scott, about role-playing games and
0: story? Yeah, I'd say it's complicated, the relationship between them. I think at the heart, yeah, I mean, as as both you and Gaz have said, the the stories come out of game sessions. But I also think that there are an awful lot of people who see GMing as storytelling. For example, the White Wolf games, they actually call the GM storytellers in that, Hmm. which Hmm. is something I disagree with on a visceral level. I think as soon as you get a GM who thinks they're a storyteller, you're in for a shit game. But for some people that may work. As you said, I think the relationship is a more organic one, or at least the story is something that comes organically out of a game. If you try to force it, if you try to predetermine what that story is, it's not a game
2: anymore, is it? Yeah, correct. So I've got a bunch of points. I'll forget most of them because I'm old now as I go (laughs) and try and rewind the things you've just said. but. (laughs) One of the early ones was like, Why is the story? Is it someone telling people something? I think he was sort of like trying to suggest as as one idea of what a story might be. And when I was in, I don't know, single digits years old and i be stopping over with my grandparents, my granddad would tell me a story or a part of it, and they go, Oh know you tell me what happens and I was like, Oh no, 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 I was a child. It was like, No, you I wanna like this is an amazing story because he always had great ones. Like I wanna find out what happens next, I don't want to i I'll be you mm-hmm. rubbish. But obviously as I've grown up and, and got more involved, certainly with role playing games, I want to be contributing like if I had to sit there for four hours and someone told me a story and get very bored, like I struggle with films of that length, because I'm no interaction. So I think story can be collaborative with elements of various people. So it's not a role playing games aren't a story in the classic sense in that one person has the talking stick and just gets to decide everything that happens. Mm. It's a collaborative story. So we, we work together to make it and You don't even have to think about making the story when you're doing it you just think about for a lot of traditional games anyway like what does your character do with your agency if you were in that situation what would you do let's you know tell us a story of what your character does in this pressing circumstance and i think that's how you build stories although there's different types of players and i've certainly run games with some players and no matter how much i try to shine a spotlight on them or give them opportunities they just want to sit there and listen to what not just I'm saying necessarily, but the other players as well, maybe, but they, they just yeah. want to be a passenger. They quite happily sat there for four hours listening to the story unfold. Even I've had quite recently, I was running a game with some of the German friends I've got, and one of them couldn't make the game because, like, we've reached capacity and players said, well, can kind I of just listen? I said, oh, sure, mm. if you think that'll be interesting, like, I couldn't imagine doing it, but then I don't watch, you know, streaming services of, you know, and actual players and stuff that very often. So I think there's definitely tastes. So some players will happily just want to hear the story and are frightened of contributing for whatever reason, or anxious about it, or don't want to spoil it, or don't think they're good enough, or are just enjoying the moment. But for me personally, and people who are GMs generally, you want to be involved in the story making. You shouldn't be the sole arbiter, but you definitely want a, a strong role in what's being discussed and done.
0: Yeah, I mean, actually, that's a good point with actual play podcasts, because I think it's fair to say that actual plays are very much responsible for the explosion of interest in RPGs in recent years, Mm -hmm. and probably how most new players these days first get exposed to what an RPG is, that they'll Mm. watch something like Critical Role or listen to an actual play of something as a podcast, and this this will be their introduction to the world of role-playing. Maybe looking at actual plays as stories in that respect is interesting because obviously some actual play podcasts and the like do try to turn the game into something that's almost like an audio drama by the time it's all edited and you cut out a lot of Mm. the game mechanics and add sound effects and so on. I guess that really does present the idea to people who are new to RPGs that, yeah, these these are stories.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're getting it produced and sound effects and so on put in, mm-hmm. but when you're at the table with a bunch of friends playing the game and it's not being recorded for actual play, it's just there in the moment, you're still experiencing the same thing. The story is still happening and you're a part of it and you're along for mm-hmm. the ride. I think that's, that I think is the main appeal of role-playing games to me really
2: i think people people have a more passive role don't they so mm. things like um la by night for example is another stream thing which i don't think edited it's sort of like run live and but people feel like they're involved it's like oh what's victor do next i can't believe mm. that this character did that and oh, i think the chief should do this and they feel like they're part of the story even though they don't have an active role acting in it or creating anything about it but anytime you listen to a lot of certainly the more popular streamers it's all about what we're doing and what we did about we I mean the community and the fans and hashtag mm. family and all that kind of stuff so for people who perhaps don't feel like they want to take part or can't, or for whatever reason, it gives them an opportunity to be part of the story and feel invested in it. Mm. And, you know, even though they're not necessarily contributing per se, they'll make fan art afterwards or things like that, but they want to be involved and, and feel like it's their story and they're part of it.
1: I think there is that element of almost intimacy of being a part of it. Because if I think of mm. a parallel for me, it'd be like I've been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival a few times. and. You're in small venues, you know, like in a basement, and there's maybe a dozen or 20 audience members, and the actors are like literally sometimes sat next to you. I'm not a part of the show, but in a way, almost I am. You know, I almost feel like I'm part of it. Mm -hmm. That's one sort of step removed, perhaps, from actual role-playing games, role-playing yourself. But I think probably there's that intensity of being a part of a show live when there's people watching you yeah uh, it's a bit like you know we, we talked mm. about our participation in convention games and i feel that drives a higher level of participation because as gm you feel like i don't know these people necessarily you always want to bring your best game to a, a table of people but when they're strangers at a convention it just sort of seems to heighten that to me mm.
0: And also, you talk about, you know, being performance. I I have had the experience once of actually GMing a game in front of a fairly large live mm. audience in an auditorium and that was a very weird experience because it really brought home the fact that in that case it was performance it wasn't just a game we were still playing it as a game and using the game mechanics and immersing ourselves in the game as much as we ever did but at the same time there was just simply because of the physicality of it uh, this was a Oh, I'm going to forget what it's called, but uh, Podcast Expo in Birmingham a few years back with How We Roll. Yeah, it was weird looking up every now and then just sort of seeing an audience there watching it. I don't know that that actually made me think of it any more as a story or storytelling, though. It was still very much this is a game, but we'll just try to keep it mm. lively for the audience. But that element
1: of performance I think is is always there for a GM mm. and a good GM has an element of good performing at times, not necessarily all the time, but they can, it's a bit like being a teacher just in a classroom, there's an element of performance. It's not like, you know, yeah. lights and dancing, you know, but there's a, an element of
0: acting almost. I'd say though there's a difference between GMing even at a convention for a group of strangers and doing an actual play podcast or stream or live performance there in that you do have to have that part of your mind that is thinking of it for the people who aren't actually sitting there playing characters, rolling dice or whatever. How do we make sure that this is engaging? And I suppose there is an element of storytelling to that. It certainly puts an emphasis on different parts of the game or how you think in terms of how you construct scenes and so on or introduce characters or narrate stuff but i still don't necessarily see it as storytelling
1: what do you think it is if it's not story let's take you know a like a, a standard kind of traditional role-playing game kind of uh
0: i think as gaz said earlier there is emergent story that comes out of that potentially i mean it it doesn't even always have to be there it depends on the expectations it depends on the group it depends on the game you're playing so if you're playing say something like um hot war for example to mention a game we're all familiar with i mean that is a game that is absolutely front-loaded with story you've got motivated characters with agendas you've got a situation that is going to spark those off and story is going to come out of that but you compare that to say something like a randomly generated dungeon and you do a dungeon crawl through there you may still have emergent story that comes out of that but it's not necessarily baked into the game you may tell yourself stories about it afterwards or come up with reasons as to why those three kobolds were guarding that chest in that room, but it's not something that was given any consideration beforehand. It's something that's come about dynamically. And I think that's the difference. In
1: that instance that you're sort of thinking of, that's the only one I can sort of think of that setup, that dungeon, there's three kobolds in room one, Room two is empty and room three, there's a pit trap. There's no story there. I haven't prepared any story. I can't think of another role-playing game, traditional role-playing game, where I don't prepare story as a GM. Every Call of Cthulhu scenario, I prepare story.
0: Hmm. I don't think of it as story when I'm preparing. This is something that I picked up from Malcolm Craig, going back to Hot War, which is this idea of situation that you're creating the groundwork in which a story can happen. I remember talking to Nathan Ballingrude about this a while back when we were playing a game together. He brought up how different scenarios seem to be from his experience as a fiction writer to what he actually did. Hmm. I think he pinned it down very nicely, which is he said that a good scenario is like the negative space of a story. You're creating the environment in which the story can happen, but you're not creating the story. I very much do not think of what i'm writing when i'm writing a scenario as a story i think of it as the building blocks out of which a story can be made
2: i think it might be slightly semantic i don't know perhaps you'll disagree but that sort of backstory and that's that's the way i view it as well when i'm writing something is the sort of convention plays i write the what's happened up until the point we start playing Hmm. but that's not the important bit that's just providing the whatever, the manure, if you will, to plant the seeds <laughs> of your game in. and um, you front load the characters with a, a motivation perhaps or something, that a goal they're trying to achieve or whatever it might be. But it's all fertilizer for the story that will happen during the game. The mistake people can make, in my opinion, is trying to create the whole story from
0: mm.
2: all that and then what's going to happen Scene yeah. one, two, three, four, five, and then what the new one will be and cast that in stone as if that's the narrative that everybody's going to follow because as soon as you introduce players to anything, it's gonna go differently anyway. So I think you do create some story. You're creating the, the backstory, the characters, the cast of characters, what they care about, what will happen if the players don't do anything, this thing will happen. So then they would presumably want to stop that thing from happening or whatever it might be. So you've kind of half written the story, if you will, is, is how I look at it.
1: Yeah, I mean, backstory, has kind of got the word story in it, hasn't it? <laughs> Cause I mean, a situation, I don't know, like is just a situation. So like I was sat in my sitting room A while back and I heard a bang, and it was in the afternoon. It sounded like a bin had fallen over outside or something. And everything was kind of quiet. And I thought that sounds a bit weird. And I looked out the window and there's somebody like there's a motorbike laid on the ground on the road, and some guy just so I I ran out. And as luck would have it, like within seconds, there's a paramedic attending to the guy on the bike. There's a bunch of cars stopped. Soon there's a, like a nurse. My neighbor's a doctor. And, like, there was loads of people. So I didn't, I was kind of one of the first there, but you know, I didn't have to. But they didn't
2: need the potter as
1: it turned out. No. <laughs> didn't need to that. But that to me is the situation. And that, as me, that was like a player turning up. Yeah. There's my situation. I don't know what's happened. I don't know how the guy came off the motorbike i don't even know if it's a man or a woman it's just somebody on their back on the road there's a car that stopped i don't know if that was pulling out if he hit it you know so i don't know what's happened that's the situation that as a gm i would put to the players perhaps you know some yeah you know, immediate res kind of thing that's happening there you go what do you do as a gm that's not what i've got yeah that's the end product of my preparation But I know as GM why the guy was, you know, maybe what he's got in the panniers on his, are they called panniers, on his -hmm. his motorbike. I know, you know, maybe the guy that was pulling out wanted to kill him. I know the paramedic has got some sort of like secret serum that he's injecting into the guy. You know, all these crazy things. And I know why they're doing them because that's the setup to the game. So I created a story.
0: That's not a story, though. Totally a story. It's,
2: it's backstory.
0: It's characters and motivations. It's the building blocks of story, but it's not a story. Story, to me, implies narrative. And these are elements that go into a narrative, but they're not the narrative itself. And the closest, I'd say, is if you sit down in a Call of Cthulhu scenario and you write that backstory bit, that's mm. probably the closest you get to writing a story. And that, that's something that... Again, I think you've got to be very careful with in that you don't necessarily want to write a story there because if all the cool stuff has happened before the players get there, or if you're you're having the, the GM read like 5,000 words of all this cool stuff that's going on in the background, then you might as well just write a story.
2: Well, to be fair, I do find that, and no offence, guys, but all the Cthulhu scenarios do tend to suffer from that more than a lot of the scenarios I see for other games. There is quite a lot of this guy found term and then he read it and then he sacrificed his wife, but then this happened and then he brought her back and then turned out this other thing happened. And There could be quite a lengthy amount of pros in terms of setting it all up, which for the games I run, I don't think you'd need that. And I think for other traditional games, there's, there's not as much of that stuff goes in. Although some of them can be quite anemic. Well, I'm probably could be with a little bit more arguably but
1: yeah i think backstory sort of wants to be kept to a kind of an efficient minimum really but if there is investigation to be done or even just a situation that you're setting up then you're normally giving the the gm the backstory of where that comes to and when i'm preparing a scenario i'm kind of planning it out and then sort of thinking well Where should the players start? So there's going to be, I don't know, let's just take a case. There's going to be a murder in a house. Do I start it the evening before when the people are arriving to the party where the murder's going to take place? Or, Or do I start it, you know, they hear somebody creeping about in the night? Or do I start it after the murder's taken place? Or do I start it, you know, the next morning? So it's up to me, kind of, where do I bring the players in? Where does the story kind of stop being backstory and start being game? I would say,
0: and I think as as authors, as GMs, that's kind of the decision we make. With backstory, I think as well, it's very important that the backstory you put in there serves a purpose, that it's not just there to give context to the GM, but it's stuff that should inform play, whether it comes out directly as stuff that the players learn during play, or if they're speaking to NPCs, stuff that may come up in conversation If you sit down and write a 3,000 words of backstory to set up a game, but it's never actually going to come into play, then what's the point?
2: All right, definitely.
0: I don't think story has to be long. It can just
1: be a couple of paragraphs of setup.
2: And crucially, this is something that games get wrong quite often, even core rule is putting stuff in there that's not relevant. Mm. Uh, Thinking like Legend of the Burning Sands, which was like an Arabian Nights version of Legend of the Five Rings. It just had page after page about a thousand years ago, there was this queen and she did this thing. It's like, what? I don't care. The real crime of the book was that all the backstory sounded far more interesting than where the game started. Yes. It's like, like, uh, can I play the game that you talked about that has already happened? Can we go back a thousand years? Because that's something much cooler than what you've set up.
1: That's kind of what I was meaning about you as author or GM. You decide where to bring the players in. And if you've got all that interesting backstory, like
2: reel it back
1: to the point where it's a bit like deciding you develop in this thing and sometimes uh you decide, oh, actually those characters that I've sort of fitted into this backstory, actually they should be the PCs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They should be the player characters. But sometimes you see that as you as you're coming up with the scenario, I think.
0: Yeah. I think the other factor, though, is what you're talking about there with deciding where to start it is you've got to take into account the fact that the players are going to reshape events, or at least they should be allowed to reshape events. So if you're talking about that murder mystery or whatever it is in the house that Mm. revolves around this murder, if you decide to start it, say, the night before or start it before the murder, there is a very real chance that the Characters will stop the murder or interfere with it somehow. In which case, if you've made everything else hinge on that, if all the bangs or events or whatever that you think might follow that all depend on that murder, you don't necessarily want to set up a situation where that murder gets stopped and then everyone's just sitting there looking at each other afterwards thinking, okay, well now what do we do?
1: I mean, if you've got Matt in the game, it's not a problem because he'll do the murder anyway.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think what you want to put into your backstory is the why's. So, why is someone going to get murdered, and like, mm. what have they done, or what's the perpetrator's reason for doing that? Do they need a yeah. sacrifice in order to summon Dagon or something? And in that case, will someone else who's similar to the intended victim do if that victim doesn't get killed or that sort of thing? But the thing you want to arm your GM with, I think, is the is the why's. Why the NPC is doing what they're doing, and what's their trajectory. And if you, you sort that out, it doesn't matter, like, where they were born or... Like, you get it sometimes in Delta Green scenarios as well. There's, you know I love the Delta Green guys Well, well the podcast. I've run Delta Green at conventions many times. But some of their scenarios will have exhaustive lists of, like, employee records for a which don't matter. Mm. Or uh, one in particular I played recently started off with uh, a mass murder in a house, but that mass murder didn't matter. And all the people didn't matter. But you had, like, how they all died, how they are all related to each other, all these other things. That's not story. That's just, it's not even information. It's just data about <laughs> mm. NPCs who are already dead and don't matter. Like, What's the point there? Yeah. Don't include that stuff.
1: <laughs> we talked about the setup of like backstory for the GM. What about when it comes to actually, from a GM's perspective, about guiding the story as it's being played? What do you think about that? How, mu- how much do you feel like you're steering the ship and how much do you feel like the players are steering the ship?
2: Yeah, it does depend on which game you're playing, doesn't it? So something like Hot War, for example, the players should be steering all of the ship and you just react to what they say. Otherwise, you're arguably doing it wrong. More traditional games. I think your job as GM is to kind of make it feel like everything's planned, even if it isn't, and be happy to take player input on board, if that helps. Because another problem with trying to pre-define things like this guy needs to murder this person for this reason, and the players take in a completely different direction, as Scott's mentioned, has happened to all of us, I'm sure, is then it's suboptimal to try and push people back on the, the pre-planned solution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what you want to be able to do is adapt your story so that ideas they come up with or uh, theories about what's going on could actually make sense. I view it quite often, Jeremy, as being like um, the, the guy that was the, of behind the screen. We all know there's a little guy there pulling levers and making this like mouth talk and stuff like that, but we've put it out of our minds as players and buy into the the myth of the Wizard of Oz, even though we know there's a little guy there behind that curtain. So your job is to kind of like not let people see behind the curtain to a degree mm. in terms of like the story and things like that, it's to make the narrative seem seamless, like it flows and the segues and things that happen were supposed to happen anyway. And if they turned left and they should have gone right, well now for, you know, the map on its head and they should have gone that way anyway, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, without letting players see the join. So I think that's the, the art to it is have some things in mind that's why it's better to have situations or motivations and things like that rather than nail down what's going on because then you can react to how players uh, engage with the story
0: Hmm. but i think there's a fundamental difference between the types of games that you've described there in that in a let's say a classic investigative game then I think you're relying much more on the GM to drive the story and shape the story there. But in a lot of other games, it is very much the character's story. So you do need motivated players there. You need people who are interested in their characters, their own characters' motivations, the conflicts that they'll face, and so on. And I don't think... In a classic investigative game, you necessarily get much of that, which is, I think, as I've said on the podcast many times before, one of the things that frustrates me in investigative games. When I play a game, I want to feel like my character is creating their story to some extent. In an investigative game, it could almost be any character in there as long as they go along and pick up the clues what they do with them is perhaps shaped somewhat by who the character is, but it's, it's not really going to turn it into a very different kind of story.
1: You're using the term investigative games, but I mean, is that different in D&D? Aren't you really talking mm. about trad games and what we might loosely term indie games? I mean, certainly, you know, if you take an example, like perhaps more people will be familiar with, like Apocalypse World and most yeah. Powered by the Apocalypse games, quite a lot of those, not all of them, but quite a lot of them are you know, you start off as GM with a blank sheet and there are various things that the players do and you kind of create the story in like the session zero or the first session. Then the, it's the GM's job to kind of go away and create fronts, which are kind of story elements, but it is much more coming from the players. Whereas in like traditional, most role-playing games, whether it be Call of Cthulhu, whether it be d the GM has got a scenario hmm. and various elements that they're going to pull in and the players have an input and you want to give them like gaz says the kind of illusion that they can go anywhere and do anything and you know they can but you know there are kind of invisible kind of uh, hands guiding them almost <laughs> to a degree or limiting their choices you offering them limited choices
2: yeah i mean sometimes that's a good gm technique to help people out is to narrow their choices when mm. players are going oh, i don't know what to do now we've got this this, this, and this it's like but you know x y and z and you know you go and see this person there's that location that seems interesting you're not really narrowing their options per se but you're just saying like these are the cool bits that we all know about let's try and do some more of that then if you want to
1: so in your scenario like take one of your ones from the time scott like say the murder shack it starts off like a self-help group but mm. the clues kind of in the title you're going to guide them to the murder shack they're going to end up at this cabin in the woods it's not like oh they're just going to go off to the local bar and then go to the cinema and go off and do what they want you're guiding them you start them off at an opening scene you've got a backstory to how they got there and then you guide them to the murder shack that's the story that sort of
0: unfolds and i think with most published scenarios it's very difficult to avoid that kind of structure but if i think about some experiences i've had recently as a player i've been playing quite a lot of cult divinity lost with how we roll recently well particularly it's craig from red moon role-playing who's been running the games as a guest gm on how we roll he started off by running two of the published scenarios and then after that he's run a short campaign, well in fact two short campaigns now with the same characters where we created the characters with all their motivations and so on. And then he came up with a backstory that meshed in with all of those and gave us conflicts. So what my experience of the first two scenarios was, was that I'd created a character I liked who had quirks and motivations and so on, but at some point during the scenario, it was sort of right. Okay. Well, let's put all that aside because we've got the scenario to deal with. Huh. I mean, that's fine. It's very much what we're used to with RPGs, but compared to the third one where it was, here's my character, here's all the motivations, here's everyone else's characters and their motivations, and their quirks, here's how they interact with each other, it was very much, oh, hang on. That's what the story's about. The story's about us. It's not us having to adapt to a story. It's the story adapting to us.
1: I mean, I think that's a quite a big ask of the GM, isn't it? It's managing a traditional game with a published scenario where you're kind of given advice and the party kind of act largely as a party, as a group... They might be splitting up, some going here and some going there, but they're working as a cohesive whole. That's a relatively easy thing to manage. I think if you go on to a game where ultimately what you're perhaps describing is where everybody's got their own agendas and they're not working as a group and they're working as individuals, that can make a great story. But it's quite a step up, I think, for for a GM to get their head around and manage, I, I would say.
2: Yeah, if you look at something like Chicago by night, for Vampire, which you were mentioning earlier, and agree that like vampire the masquerade has got entirely the wrong system for the game he wants it proposed to be about, but putting that to one side, Hot War would be better, for example. That book, although it's well loaded, is largely a set of vampires who've got agendas in a city and what they're up to. And right. if you were a traditional D D ref, for example, you'd probably find that book quite confusing and go, Where's my maps? Where's the plot? Where do- mm. what happens? But really, it's just a bunch of backstory with here's a fibral situation that you throw your players into, and they will have their own or expected to have their own plots and agendas and things they want to do. And then you mix it all up, and the story comes out of that. So that's a different way of playing, but that's kind of one way of addressing the issue. You just have like... Here's the um, populating the world with interesting stuff and plans in motion. And then you throw your players into it with their own plans and interactions and who they might want to influence. And then you create some interesting stories out of it is the idea. To go back to kind of your investigative thing, that's one of the reasons I like Vesson is there's a real structure to how things are plotted out. And you get um, an invitation to your castle, and it will, could be a newspaper article, or someone's written to you and said, "Oh, this horrible thing's happening in the wells of Sweden. Come and get, come find out for us." And then you have a journey, and you have a bit where you get some equipment or find out clues. Then you have some locations with clues in them, and then you get to a confrontation. And that's like the pattern that you follow. Although structure, I find it more liberating as players, because when we were playing, what we found is that we'd make it more about our characters and our interactions because we knew the path we were going to follow we knew we'd get an invite we knew we'd go on a journey we knew there'd be some places to go and poke and find clues out of and then we knew there'd be a confrontation at the end of it it kind of cuts out for me that worry sometimes you have with Cthulhu scenarios or something else that's less structured in that way even though it's a meta structure that we might not get to the end or we get lost along the way or something like that I always feel more comfortable with this and that we'll definitely get where we're going. And there'll be multiple redundancy in the clues. And you can definitely write a of scenarios like that mm-hmm. so they will follow the oh, same yeah. pattern. That you know, I'm not saying it's not a, a thing, but it's baked into the game of this. And I think when you know that you will get to a conclusion and you do know that there's a, a bit of a safety net round, you like those like inflatable things, you have down bowling alleys at the sides, so you know your balls are definitely going to hit some pins, it then frees up players to do more of the interacting the story bit and we found our characters developed quite well in that and made a bit of a story about how the doctor always acts and how this person acts in this situation and different approaches to things and teaming up in different twosomes out of our four so two different people go each time and it felt more like a tv show or something when right it's, i don't know like hill street blues which is sensibly about police forces but actually about the individual characters and what they're getting yeah. to in their personal lives so having some comfort in how the game's going to go from a meta level then lets you make story about by playing your character more and you, and you get emergent characters because people start acting in a certain way and yeah. start doubling down on it and reincorporating it and that sort of thing and then other players react because they know how that character would normally act in a certain situation so they can set them up or try and confound expectations and that kind of thing
1: do you feel there's a danger that would feel a bit i mean there is a formula so it's kind of there's an element familiar. of formulaic feel to that or that's not really badly impacted your experience at all
2: now, as I say, I think it supports it. You need player buying. Yeah. Wherever you go and look for clues, you feel comfortable. There are enough multiple redundant clues everywhere and enough people to talk to that you will ultimately come to a confrontation. And that confrontation is not necessarily in a fixed place or anything. So uh, Midnight Hunt, which I, I wrote most recently, which is on drive through that has a series of locations and peoples and clues and things that happen, and then... I say there'll be a confrontation and we'll give three options for it. might possibly happen, but it could be anywhere at any time, depending on how your story's going at the table. And the other neat thing that Vesson has, I'll just quickly mention, is Mm. countdowns. So it has like three points and then a catastrophe. And there's like a main one for the the main thing that's happening with the Vesson. There's one that'll be a secondary subplot. And you might have more than one, but it's just things that happen if the players are dirtling or, you know, they're just doing their own thing just to escalate stuff.
0: So basically like bangs.
2: A little bit like that, yeah. It can be a bit more textual almost or, or canvassy in the background that things just start getting more weird. The shadows get longer. Uh, a okay. murder turns up randomly or whatever it might be. And, you know, So if someone, I don't know, if you've got um, a Cthulhu cult, for example, it might start off that everything's nice and bonny when you get to town as much as it can be. And step one might be there's more news in the newspapers about kidnappings and a uh, body's washed up on shore or something like that. And then step two might be people are going missing off the beach or things like that, and you know, police are advising people not to go out anymore. And step three might be someone important has been kidnapped or someone comes after the player characters, for example. And if it gets the, the catastrophe, it's like the cult just comes after the players and tries to drag them all off to sacrifice them to Dagon or something like that. You can tune those as much as you want, but basically it gives you a way of just saying, like, the world's escalated, the story's moving on, if you don't do anything, you just sit there and have nice lattes in the morning and don't go investigating or try and stop something, then things will steadily get worse.
1: So it's that idea of like a countdown clock, like in Blades in the Dark and things.
2: A little bit like that, yeah. You could have a countdown triggered off if the players do more stuff. So right. the more they investigate the cult, the more the couple try and react back or that sort of thing. Right. It's something I think we've all done in games before, but it's just nice to have it again as a, a meta currency. Something that's you know we all understand that things will escalate if we don't do anything or us investigating things might trigger things that happen and you can see uh, ways of introducing more story elements if you feel like you need more you can have extra countdowns that will give you extra things that are happening that may think oh right well do we deal with this do we deal with that like they're both really important and you know which one should we go for
1: i mean i can kind of see the appeal of that formula if you like because i think that's something that isn't in call of cthulhu scenarios as a explicit thing but in kind of good call of cthulhu scenarios you kind of feel like you've got that same support in the structure of yeah. it but
0: it's not formalized yeah yeah there needs to be that escalation there needs to be that that feeling that You can ratchet up tension, you can ratchet up events. You can make sure that even if the players are stalled, that the game doesn't stall with them, that there's always stuff you can throw in to keep things moving or get things moving again if it's stopped.
1: And I think that's when you read a Call of Cthulhu scenario and you think, oh yeah, I could run this, this this is great, because it's giving Mm -hmm. you that support and those elements. It's not going to go off the rails, but it's not necessarily rails, but it's that kind of support of various things that you can bring in and like you say if nobody's doing anything you can push them and uh, there's all the tools there for you to use
2: so i think to bring it back to stories that the the point i'm trying to make probably clumsily is that the story quite often from after the session is about the things the character did along the way Mm. like we kind of know we're going to get invited somewhere and we know we're going to have to confront some monster in the swedish forests and there'll be some other things stuff we have to do on the way but half of the session ends up being about I can't believe the doctor wanted to have an autopsy on that guy when this happened and that happened. And uh, I can't believe the police walked in when we're doing X, Y, and Z. And uh, that, and the interactions that happened, and the way you went about getting to that confrontation becomes the story.
1: And the GM is a bit like a, almost like a conductor, kind of bringing those things in. I mean, I don't really know what a conductor does, but, you know, like <laughs> bringing those elements in, you know, or a cook or something, putting those elements, in, those ingredients in, and deciding when to put them in, when to pull yeah. them in.
2: It's like being in charge of a bonfire or something and knowing when to put an extra log on it and when to not.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But I think the other important thing is to make sure that there's the space for the stuff like that to happen spontaneously. Mm. And that's, I guess, where my concern about viewing games as stories comes from, in that if you as the GM or the scenario writer start off viewing this as a story, then a story by definition is stuff that you've got mapped out this happens then this happens then this happens in a good role playing game this happens then this happens is all stuff that comes about spontaneously in the game going back to that idea that i mentioned earlier you're creating the empty spaces in which all that cool stuff happens you're not dictating the cool stuff that's going to happen
2: I think we've all agreed that what we want is an emergent story, isn't it? We're not trying to write it as we go. And you do create stories when you play role-playing games. I think that's just a, a fact. But you don't consciously think of writing the stories you're going, necessarily. You know, you're know, you not trying to write the story. You're just having the game. And the story is a, an after-effect, a, a product of what happens at the table.
1: It's almost like you've written a story, if you like. You haven't, but it's almost like you could have written it. And then in almost like William Burroughs-esque endeavour, you, you cut it up. And you say, oh, there's this bit. This bit's really good. I can stick this bit in somewhere. And this bit's good. I'll stick. And these are my bangs. You know, these are the bits that I can stick in anywhere. This bit I'm going to have. This is the upfront bit. I'm not going to tell the players that. That's just my backstory. And then I've got all these other bits that I've written them, but they're not going to be rigidly in order as I wrote them. And the players, they're going to add some bits in as well. I've no idea what they are. But, you know, if I need to, I can chuck these bits in,
2: these other bits. You might not use some bits. You might have written them and they'll just go in the bed. But also, I think,
0: I mean, we're talking about a merchant story and the stories we tell each other after the game's over and so on. But I I think it's fairly important to realise that in a lot of role-playing games, a lot of fun role-playing games, a lot of enjoyable ones, if you sat down and wrote up the session or the campaign or whatever as a story... It'd be fucking awful. (laughs) Really, the things that make it fun to play don't necessarily translate to what we'd find engaging or rewarding as a story if we sat down to read it. I've read Call of Cthulhu fiction that really felt like people writing up their home games and pretending their stories, and it was just
2: diabolical. Not in a good way. (laughs) No, no, not
0: at all. On the other hand, the stuff that we find really fun and engaging in the session, all the weird character quirks and the odd scenes that come out, they may not hang together in a way that would be satisfying if we were watching it on TV or reading it in a book, but they're fun to experience firsthand. They're fun to look back on. But I don't think we're necessarily beholden to trying to create the same kind of story out of those
2: a lot of the time it's like stories you have in the pub that were referenced earlier it's like you had to be there yeah
0: yeah if you wrote
1: those up they're not going to get published you know by penguin are they
2: occasionally see so you go to an open mic night or something like that and you'll get a comedian and some uh, yeah. dirty covers <laughs> but he'll stand up and he's like oh, i will because my mates say i'm hilarious and then within two minutes it's just a stony silence and an yeah. embarrassed man <laughs> on stage thinking i'm not very funny at all actually but, so there's yeah we're not writing stories for other people's consumption necessarily but that's
1: part of the beauty of role-playing games isn't it that i'm not a great story creator and maybe my friends aren't either but we enjoy each other's company and we're making up a story that we all enjoy. It's not for other people's consumption and it doesn't have to be great, but it's like if we were getting together to play some music, we're never going to sell a record, but we'll enjoy jamming together, you know, or cooking, you know, cooking a meal from a friend's. They will say it's nice. Some of them might like it. Some might not. It's not going to be on MasterChef. So I don't think it matters that it's not about the quality of the story.
0: But I think there's a fundamental difference in the nature of the kinds of stories we're talking about. Going back to the idea of actual play podcasts, and if you sit down and listen to an actual play podcast, that is probably much closer to sitting in on someone's game at home than something that is a scripted story. And it does have all the same quirks and inconsistencies and all the things that would undermine it if it were fiction, and all the strange digressions and dead ends and stuff like that but it's still fun to experience vicariously i don't think that means that as you were saying there paul i don't think that means we're not good role players or i don't think it's a a difference in terms of the skill or imagination or anything like that we're bringing to it i think it's just fundamentally different things that the emergent story that comes out of a role playing game isn't fiction it isn't structured like fiction it doesn't have the same texture what do you mean when you say it isn't
1: fiction i mean there's no set form of fiction it's just it is a fiction right i mean
0: i'll accept that but in terms of the kinds of stories that we're used to reading and used to experiencing if i sit down and read a novel or read a short story it's going to hit me in a very different way. It's going to feel different consuming that than if I'd listen to an
2: actual play podcast. Yeah.
0: And that's fine. They are different things.
2: Yes, I think you're right. And, and this comes back to something I was saying I heard about some players immediately book when you say we're creating a story. And it's not... When we play games, we're doing it for the fun of playing the game and the enjoyment we get out of role-playing, right? We're not sitting down to create a story. Mm. like That's not the goal. It's just something Mm. that happens, as we say. It's emergent and stuff. So, yes, what you get out of the end of it is not going to be edited and reviewed and all the other things that happen with novels and, and TV shows and all the rest of it, they have like multiple passes to get them to the state they're in so if you're doing something raw, it's probably more like improv theatre or something like that yeah. where you just get a show based on some ingredients and you get what you get and you don't expect it to be as polished or have the same beats or or whatever it might come from a, a real inverted commas story that's been written for that purpose because our purpose is not to write a story it's just something that happens as a result of playing games and having fun
1: We've talked a lot about from the GM's perspective. What about from a player's perspective? Mm. It depends on what game you're playing, right? Let's say you're playing a standard D&D game. How much input do you feel as a player you've actually got into the story? I mean, maybe it's how long it's a piece of string, but is there an answer to that?
2: Yeah, so a lot of the established D&D and players who play in an old school, traditional way uh, perhaps just looking for a dungeon to bash, or whatever it might be, or perhaps as an arch villain that they want to get to after ten levels, or a campaign, or something like that, and feel like they just want things to interact with, and they'll they'll carry on going them anyway, accumulating experience and stuff. But I certainly think from actual players and stuff, more modern D and D players are definitely interested in their character and what's cool about them and mm. and how they're going to interact with other people. For me as a player, I want I want act- results of my actions. I want to have input decisions to make and choices and to be able to do things and then see the consequences of those actions. So some of my least satisfying games I've played in a where the gym asks, what do you do? I tell them and then they don't describe what happens or do it in a, an insufficient way. So I'm like, well, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Or when you don't get enough spotlight time, so like, okay, the murder's happening, what do you do? Oh, I'm going to run around the back to see if I can catch the murderer. Okay, what do you do? What do you do? And then other players get seven goals, and it comes back to me, what you do? Is like, I was trying to run around the back to stop the murderer, but since then he's apparently got on a motorbike and he's now in Nevada. So I don't know what I want to do now. <laughs> I don't know the police. <laughs> As a player, you kind of want to be involved mm. in the story and have, have interesting things to do. That's another thing I can find sometimes in convention games where the GM's saying, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't actually know. I've got this motivation about mm. catching serial killer, and apparently we're in a Alcoholics Anonymous meeting talking to some random NPCs who won't give us any information. That That's just not satisfying to me. So you want to feel involved, is, is, would be my view. And the other thing is you want to make it about the player character. So yes. some people like playing, for example, The One Ring. I think it's a great game. It's very good at emulating the genre. But some people get super excited about meeting Gandalf or Redegast. Mm. I couldn't give... A, I don't know how family friendly you are, but I couldn't, I couldn't care less about that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and you don't actually meet him, Redagast. He doesn't exist. He's <laughs> no one, you know, like, But people will talk about it like they did Yeah, if some guy turned up on a sled with rabbits, or yeah. I'd be like, wow, that's was, that was quite interesting. So, yeah, I don't care. I, I like playing in Tolkien's World, for example, but I don't care about the Witch King of Angmar turning up or something like that. That's just not interesting. I want to know what my character is doing and how, how what effect do we have.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think a good... Test on that front is how different would the game be if I were playing a completely different kind of character? So let's say we're playing a classic murder mystery type game and it doesn't make any difference fundamentally in terms of the way the investigation unfolds. If I'm playing some big game hunter from Kenya or if I'm playing the parlor maid, or I'm playing someone's eccentric old aunt or something like that, that the events are going to unfold in pretty much exactly the same way. I want to feel in a game that the kind of character I'm playing matters, that it's not just a pawn it's not just a proxy for the decisions that I as a player am making if it's not that then going back to the idea of whose story is it is very much the GM story and I'd much rather they just sat down and wrote a fucking novel
2: mm. yeah for me it doesn't have to engage with the story in inverted commas the player just needs to be have spotlight on them mm. from everybody's point of view and um, If I was playing a police procedure, for example, I'd want it to be like The Wire. There's no way we're going to have a a role playing game and it turns out being as good as The Wire was because it's the best TV ever written, arguably. But I'd love there to be a character who's like McNulty and one who's like Kima and one like, you know, they're basically doing the same thing, but their approaches to the job and and the scrapes they get involved in and the the trouble they put themselves in are all radically different, but all kept within the same sort of narrative. So that feels like a a cool role playing game where we're playing The Wire. But you, you'd have your own characters. So you wouldn't have McNulty, but you would have a character that could fit into that world mm. and be interesting for other people. I think that's that's one way of doing it.
1: I think that was an interesting point. You said that the trouble they put themselves in, mm. McNulty yeah. and the other characters in the Wire, they do you know make their own problems often, and as players of player characters either we we want to kind of teflon our, our characters and not let that happen or it just doesn't occur to us or you know we don't really want to invite that trouble or whatever and that's kind of human nature not to actively invite it i think if you were writing a story of the wire as a scriptwriter, then you definitely want to put those characters in trouble and as gm i think you're trying to put them into trouble and it's the characters usual motivation to try and get their characters out of trouble so it, it kind of fights against that a little bit i suppose is what i'm saying That idea of putting yourself in trouble
2: players can sometimes turtle and just want to not do anything because they think they've won then because they never get any trouble and that's very dull and you do get some players who just want to oh cthulhu's all about like going mad and dying so i'm gonna run straight in and do this crazy stuff and that's very dull as well mm. so you need to try and find a middle ground mm. where you don't shy away from everything you, you know what sort of game you're playing and you should get in trouble but you kind of mitigate it to a certain extent. So, like, what what do I think my character could get away with? What would be interesting for the table? You don't want to do stuff just for the sake of doing something and then it spoils everything for everybody else. And equally, you don't to do nothing because that's not adding anything either. You want to find a middle ground, really. Mm.
0: But also, the trouble that they get themselves into or the situations they've... Find themselves in that are problematic should somehow be related to the character as well, ideally. Oh, yeah. So if you're playing a character who, say, is a veteran of the Great War, has been recovering from shell shock, has maybe developed a drug habit since then, putting them in situations that take them back to their time in the trenches, give them loud noises, gun battles, or whatever to deal with, things that they've got to try to overcome. That's going to be a lot more interesting than just, say, plucking them in
2: Innsmouth and sort of saying, oh, here's some fishmen.
0: Yeah, that reverts
2: back to the gem role then a little bit, doesn't it? To give the, the gem wants to incorporate the players' preferred flags their way and yeah. going, I've got this background floor. This means brings into the story so that I can then interact with it.
0: But it's also down to the players to then want to engage with it as
2: well. They want a drive for it as well, yes. Yeah. It's got to be the give and take there. And I think that's something that, for example, Pendragon's great for, like a really old game now, but it's got uh, passions and traits, and you'll have like uh, just versus arbitrary and honest versus deceitful and things like that. And that helps guide your character, and as you act in a certain way, the points will go up in one and down in the other of the halves, they're like little seesaws. If you're constantly suspicious, then your suspicious will go up for your knight, and you'll be less trusting as a default. And you can play with that in the session to kind of drive certain behaviours. So when I run it at conventions, I always have a negative trait for each of the nights. Someone might be particularly lustful, for example, and there could be a seductive witch in the forest. Well, the lustful knights, you know, in trouble straight away because they're going to fall for it hotline and think oh, They're just not even going to think about it. So it's up to the other knights to try and work around that as well. And it's sort of beholden on the player to not just try and shag everything because the knight's lustful, but use it in a more tasteful way and perhaps look at for opportunities where it will be disadvantageous to indulge it, but think like, but well, this is what my character would do and kind of follow the lead without trying to derail things or upset anyone else. And so having advantages and flaws on character sheets, I think it's a really good idea because they give you the flaws give you something to try and role-play, if you will. Certain games try and do it with like awarding fate points or bennies or whatever else, but mm. it shouldn't need a mechanical benefit. You should just have things on your sheet, which is like, these are my troubles that I want to bring into it. I think that, that just helps me bring some story to the game. So over the
1: years, if we go back to the old cliche of you enter the inn as a bunch of adventurers and there's an old man with a beard sat in the corner looking at a map and he looks at you and beckons you over and gives you a quest have we just taken that idea and made it a bit more subtle over the years or have we reinvented
2: the wheel i think sometimes it's not even that subtle (laughs) (laughs) perfect answer there's nothing wrong with that Uh, me and baz talk about this quite often Is if you're ever struggling in a role playing game, just go back to what's the mission. Yeah. Like, if you can't work out what you're supposed to be doing, it's like, well, what did the old man at the pub say? We're supposed to be finding the necromancer in the castle, right? Let's stop fanning around over here and let's get to the <laughs> castle. Because that's what, you know, like, I think you want something like, um, over the Edge is a great game, but this you can create anything you can think of as a character, and when you tell players that, they'll just stare at you like rabbits in the headlights. It's like, what do you mean anything? It's like, well, literally anything. But you, you want some kind of idea of the boundaries, like what what's yeah. the tone of mood. And I suppose nowadays, certainly myself, we've got more for like a session zero to decide what we're doing before we play, so everybody's on board. But you just want a bit of that. You want like you do want a goal. Like, what's what's the idea for this session? What we're we trying to do. Yeah. Uh, it might be a mission. It might be someone paying you to take something down the river or whatever else, but you kind of want an idea about what you're doing. And then, then you've got something that you can build the rest of your story, university cameras, or your game around. But you want you want that spine to give you something to hang on to.
0: Yeah. But I guess ideally, let's say with that setup, if the players then decide that halfway through the mission that there's something more interesting going on or they've gained a different perspective on it than maybe the GM didn't expect or something like that and want to take things in a completely different direction if their characters see things in a different way, then I think the story that comes out of that is just as valid as the one where they do go off and kill the necromancer like the old man in the pub told them
2: to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the good thing about spines is they bend. So. <laughs> 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 Maybe they end up working for a macroman, so he's not such a bad guy after all. I mean, we don't know.
0: At our age, guys, I don't think spines bend as much as they used to.
2: <clears throat> not as flexible as they once were. Thank you. thank you, thank you.
0: You're listening to The Good Friends
1: of Jackson Elias. You can find show notes for this episode at com, where you'll also find all our social media links. We have t-shirts and other merchandising available at our Redbubble store. If you're enjoying this show, please consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash good friends of Jackson Elias. Thank you for listening.
0: Well, it is that time once again when we would like to say thank you to people. Thank you, first of all, to you for listening to this podcast. Thank you to anyone who has ever backed us at any stage. And we have a number of new people we would like to thank by name.
1: Yep, starting off with a thanks to Vincent Myers.
0: And thank you very much to Buko Roddenberger. And thanks to Shane Brandon Bauer. And thank you to either Shiny Porrigan Z or Shiny Porrigan Z, depending on your preferred pronunciation. And speaking of pronunciations, as ever, if we have completely mangled any of your names, which we probably have there, do let us know, and we are more than happy to have another go and get it right next time.
1: Well, that about wraps it up. But uh, just before we go, Gaz, I want to say thank you very much for joining us. And where can people find you on the great internets? And uh, is there anything you'd like to mention?
2: Well, thanks very much for having me. Pleasure as always. As you mentioned previously, I am half of What Would The Smart Party Do? Or just known as The Smart Party in some corners. You can find us at whatwiththesmartpartydo.com or on Twitter at the underscore smart underscore party. Also, if you head over to Drive Through and look for Gasbauer Bank, or search for things such as The Bone Alchemist, Puppy Love, or Unbearable for you'll find some of my works there, which you can purchase. And then tell me how I don't follow my own advice in this podcast <laughs> the way I write scenarios, which would be always good to hear from the fans.
0: And of course, we'll link to all those things from the show notes. Okay, that about
1: wraps it up for Stories in Role Playing Games. Until next time, it's a goodbye from me,
0: a cheerio from me,
2: and goodbye from them.
0: Blasphemous mm-hmm.